Good morning, and welcome to Simply Politics. It's Sunday, February 11th. On today's show, Labor's green rowback sparks debate on honest politics or a costly mistake, while McConnell's GOP critics grow louder amidst a party feud over Ukraine and immigration. Plus, Georgia's GOP governor asserts that no one is above the law, stating that Trump shouldn't get immunity. This coverage and more, up next. I'm David, and you're listening to Simply Politics. We start off with a contentious issue in the labor leadership, as they face criticism for what some are calling a humiliating rowback on the green transition. However, others argue that this is a realistic response to the current economic climate. Here with more on this is our correspondent, Bella. Can you give us some context on this situation? Certainly, David. When the £28 billion green transition ambition was declared in the autumn of 2021, interest rates on government debt were about 1%. Now they're at 4.5%, with debt repayments increasing by around the same proportion of GDP. In December, the repayments hit £119 billion. This has led to a change in the labor leadership's stance. So, what exactly has the labor leadership said about this? Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves have made it clear that they are not going to promise to spend £28 billion using power that they don't yet have and might not get access to because of the dire state of the economy and public finances. They argue that this is not being hawkish, but rather, it's plain honesty. And what has the response been to this shift in stance? The response has been mixed. Some argue that this is a retreat from Labour's green investment strategy and question what the party stands for. Others, however, argue that the party is still committed to initiatives like Great British Energy, the National Wealth Fund, Green Steel, and a housing and planning program. They believe that these initiatives can generate growth, skills, and jobs and combat the climate crisis. What about the argument that economic credibility is the foundation of any redistributive efforts. That's a view that has been held by some within the Labour Party for a long time. However, critics argue that this approach led to the 1931 national government rather than a more equal society. They believe that investing in a green future is not just an ambition, but a necessity, and that it can be done in a way that creates a more equal society. And how does proportional representation factor into this? Some argue that the pressure to cave in to the demands of right-wing politicians and the media is a direct consequence of our first-past-the-post voting system. They believe that proportional representation would create a level playing field for ideas such as a just transition to flourish. To decarbonize, they argue, we must democratize. That's certainly a complex issue. Thanks for that report, Bella. Speaking of complex political issues, Senate GOP leader Mitch McConnell known for maintaining GOP unity during his 17-year tenure, is facing increasing dissent within his party. The issues of immigration, Ukraine, and the influence of Donald Trump have led to a growing number of detractors within his conference. Here to discuss this further is Celeste, a correspondent for Simply Politics. So Celeste, how significant is this shift within the GOP? It's quite significant, David. In the past, any grumblings about McConnell were mostly done in private but now at least five of his detractors have openly called for new leadership. This is a clear indication of the divisions within the party 
and underscores how the 118th Congress has been McConnell's most tumultuous period as leader. What are the key issues causing this division? The key issues are immigration, Ukraine, and the influence of Donald Trump. McConnell's long campaign to unequivocally support Ukraine with billions more in U.S. dollars has left him in the minority of his conference. This is at a time when Trump, once again, is driving the direction of his party and has openly called on the GOP to dump McConnell as leader. How has McConnell responded to these criticisms? McConnell has defended his position, particularly on the issue of Ukraine. He argues that it's about rebuilding the arsenal of democracy and demonstrating to allies and adversaries alike that America is serious about exercising its strength. However, his critics blame him for mishandling the talks and accuse him of engineering a process that was destined to fail. What about McConnell's allies? How are they reacting to this situation? McConnell's allies have been quick to point out his achievements. For instance, they lauded his role in wooing former Governor Larry Hogan into the U.S. Senate race in Maryland, turning a safe Democratic seat into a competitive one. They argue that McConnell has been a tactician, always staying ahead of his opponents and with an eye on the next election. What does this mean for McConnell's future as the Senate GOP leader? McConnell has not revealed whether he will try to stay as leader after the 2024 elections. However, many Senate Republicans believe that he would likely have the support to remain as leader if he chose to. But the increasing dissent and the influence of Trump could change the dynamics. Thanks to our Simply Politics reporter Celeste for that insightful report. Now shifting our focus to Georgia, where Republican Governor Brian Kemp has recently voiced his disagreement with former President Donald Trump's argument for legal immunity for actions taken during his presidency. Kemp's stance is clear. No one is above the law. Here to delve deeper into this is our correspondent James. Can you tell us more about Kemp's position on this matter? Certainly, David. Governor Kemp's comments come as Trump faces four impending trials for 91 criminal charges, including a federal case alleging his participation in an illegal effort to overturn the 2020 election results. Kemp and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger were both pressured by Trump to help reverse his loss in the state that year. When they refused, they became the target of Trump's anger. Kemp also mentioned that focusing on the 2020 presidential election could be harmful for conservatives. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, Kemp believes that conservatives need to focus on the future rather than dwelling on the past. He argues that voters are tired of hearing about the 2020 election and want to focus on what candidates are going to do for them in the future. He believes that if conservatives run on issues and their record, they can be very successful. Kemp also spoke about the state of the Republican primary for 2024. What did he have to say about that? Kemp has yet to endorse a candidate for the 2024 Republican primary. However, when asked about the calls for former South Carolina Gov Nikki Haley to end her campaign after losing to Trump in the early voting states, he encouraged her to keep fighting. He believes in letting the process play out. Kemp also had some strong words about the situation at the southern border and President Biden's handling of immigration issues. Can you tell us more about that? Indeed, Kemp criticized what he called Biden's utter failure to address immigration issues. 
He was among more than a dozen Republican governors that joined Texas Governor Greg Abbott at the US-Mexico border last week. Kemp criticized Congress for being unable to agree on new immigration legislation and accused President Biden of passing the buck and blaming Republicans for the issue at the border. Thanks for those insights, James. Now, shifting our focus to international politics, President Joe Biden and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu held a lengthy discussion on Sunday about a potential deal to secure the release of hostages in Gaza. A senior administration official has indicated that while a framework is in place, there are still gaps to be filled. Here to delve deeper into this matter is our correspondent, Abby. Can you give us more insight into this conversation between Biden and Netanyahu? Certainly, David. This was the first call between Biden and Netanyahu since January 19th. They discussed Israel's ongoing campaign in Gaza, the return of hostages held by Hamas, and Israel's anticipated ground assault on the city of Rafah. The U.S. and others in the region have expressed concern about this assault. The White House statement mentioned that the president reaffirmed the shared goal of defeating Hamas and ensuring the long-term security of Israel and its people. What has been the U.S. stance on the Israeli government's actions against Hamas? Over the last several months, the U.S. has been trying to put more pressure on the Israeli government to support a humanitarian pause in its war against Hamas. However, these efforts have not been very successful. Last week, Netanyahu called Hamas' recent proposals for a ceasefire and hostage deal in Gaza delusional. Can you tell us more about Hamas's proposal? Hamas's proposal includes three phases, each lasting 45 days. These phases involve the withdrawal of Israeli troops from Gaza, a massive humanitarian effort, and freedom of movement for people throughout Gaza. However, Netanyahu has stated that there is no commitment yet and that negotiations are necessary. And how many hostages are currently being held in Gaza? There are 136 hostages being held in Gaza, including 132 who were captured during Hamas's October 7th attack. 29 of the hostages are dead, according to the Israeli Prime Minister's office. What about the proposed military operation in Rafah? Biden has reaffirmed his view that a military operation in Rafah should not proceed without a credible and executable plan for ensuring the safety of and support for the more than one million people sheltering there. Netanyahu has said that the Israel Defense Forces would soon go into Rafah, Hamas' last bastion. More than 1.3 million people are believed to be in the southern city, the majority of whom were displaced from other parts of Gaza. What has been the U.S. response to this proposed operation? The U.S. has stated that it would not support an Israeli military operation in Rafah without serious planning given the risks. A senior administration official said that an operation under current conditions is not something that they could envision. What has been the impact of the Israeli offensive on Gaza? The Israeli offensive, launched after the Hamas attack just over four months ago, has taken an immense humanitarian toll on the Strip, with tens of thousands dead and the population of Gaza on the brink of famine. Officials see a cessation in fighting as central to both their short- and longer-term objectives for Gaza as international and domestic U.S. pressure to end the conflict mounts. Thanks to our Simply Politics reporter, Abby, for those insights. And with that, we wrap up our stories for today. Thanks for listening to Simply Politics. We'll see you back here tomorrow. <laughs>